Welcome, Greg. Welcome, Holly, to the Old Grab Podcast. Hey, Jamie. Uh, go Bulldogs. Go Bulldogs. Go Bulldogs. Yep, wearing my hat. Holly's got all her gear on, right? I you got know? all my gear on. I'm ready. Heck, even the shirt I got on, I got from Kylie. So <laughs> I can hook you up. You see what I'm wearing? I see it. What's up with that? Well, I'm I'm here because I'm honoring the fact that you have a son who's who graduated from the Naval Academy. Number one, um, I'm wearing a Navy shirt, but also um, this is like the spoils of war right here. This is I win, I win, I won this shirt uh, when Army beat Navy. So. Every year, I have an annual contest with a friend of mine, the former CFO of my company, who's a Navy grad. And so uh, the loser has to buy the winner some article of clothing from their school. So, mm. so during that stretch, during that 14-year stretch, when, when Army lost the Navy all those times, um, I, I ran out of stuff. I was buying the guy like socks and underwear and, and you know anything because uh, I buy 14 straight things for him. So. Yeah. We had a similar bet, and so we ended up just starting to buy a keg of beer because we bought them out of everything. Um, there was nothing left to buy. But luckily <laughs> now we we are getting our share. Yeah, this year right. was an awesome this year was an awesome game. Were, were you at the game, Greg? This year I was. Game? I was there with Holly. The um yeah. it was uh I would say like overtime was awesome. Everything <laughs> up to that point was kind of like it was kind of like watching two toddlers. You know, like hit each other with blow up baseball bats. I mean, it was just <laughs> horrible. It was, it was crazy. We could have saved ourselves a lot of time and just did like the last like ten minutes and just called it a day, right? Yep. Yeah, but it was. Uh, but I mean, obviously, it's always very emotional, you know. And it's, uh, you know, it's always great seeing folks there. Um, it, it's it's hard to kind of encapsulate all the feelings you get at an Army Navy game, especially as a former player, I guess. But. So you're my first you're my first guest who's had somebody that I know of directly close to them that went to the Naval Academy. So that like that must also have like an extra special uh, meaning for you when you when you hope, especially when he was there, I would assume. Right. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely did. It was, um, you know, it certainly brought it close to home. I think for me and my whole family, <clears throat> the uh, I remember before that, you know, Calvin Cass's son you know, was there. So I, uh, I immediately looked him up to kind of get an idea of how he, you know, how he kind of navigated the waters there. But, you know, bottom line is I would support my son in anything that he ever wanted to do. Um, but when it came down to army, Navy, anything, you know, it's still going to be, you know, army over Navy period. Did he play? Did he play for the team? He did not play football. He played, um, he played rugby, you know, that's what he did there for a little bit. And then, you know, and then he got the, uh, you know, kind of like the special ops bug and was, you know, working out with all those teams and trying to do the assessment for, you know, EOD and, and, uh, and, uh, seals and stuff like that. So it was, uh, in fact, you know, a little bit, I guess a little bit of background on that is, you know, Brian, he, first of all, he, he shocked me that he even wanted to go to academy because his, his aspirations to go to academy kind of stopped somewhere around middle school. And then all of a sudden, out of no place, we we're over in Germany. You know, I guess one of his classmates told him about the uh, the Navy's equivalent of our summer leadership, you know, exercise or uh, event and um, experience. And uh, and so he actually wanted to do that with his buddy who was doing it at the Navy. And so uh, and so I said, well, you know, if you're going to if you're going to go through this process with Navy, you're going to do it for Army, too. And so I made him go through the I made him do it in parallel. You know, I said, you choose wherever you want to go, but you're going to put it in for both. And I want you to have the choice. 
and sure enough, he got an appointment, you know, to both, to both academies. And, uh, and he chose, you know, he chose Navy, you know, primarily because I think he wanted to fly jets, but the, uh, you know, so because he got an appointment to both, you know, that's no, no holds barred when it comes to army Navy, I will jump all over his crap, you know, for anything Navy and people, you know, they get, you know, they think I'm being mean. I'm like, he had a choice. <laughs> yeah. He could have joined the first team. He chose right. not to. He could have joined varsity. You know, that's what he says. You know, the, so he's in the Marines now, you know, infantrymen. And, uh, and so his big thing when he first got into Marines was, you know, talking to, he was, he, he set up a, he did like a podcast or something like that, or a message to send back to his old classmates and, uh, you know, people that were in, uh, at the, at the Academy. And he says, well, any of you guys, any of you guys are ready to, um, you know, to join the varsity team, come on out and see me. <laughs> you know, so I, I guess that goes right along with the, you know, the men's department of the Navy kind of thing. Yep. That's cool. I think I, Jamie, uh, Tony, um, Tony Glaze, her son or her daughter went to her son, too, I think right? her son. Yeah. So I think okay. I know of three, I think Calvin Cass, uh, Greg and, uh, and Tony, I think yeah. maybe there's, maybe there's others. Maybe there's know. more. I don't know. Yeah. I have, uh, I don't, I don't know if anybody that went to air force Academy, but there might be, there might be somebody. Yeah. I have a friend who's both of his sons with the Naval, uh, went to air force Academy. He's an 83 grad. I went to, I went to, uh, no, from business school and his sons always say, Oh, that's the battle for second place. The army Navy game. It's a battle for second place. You know, who gives a shit about army Navy? That, that was what they always said. <laughs> I always feel badly for the Air Force because they've always got a big chip on their shoulder about the Army Navy game because they don't have the same thing. I mean, they're they're trying to make Army Air Force by going to these destinations. They're trying to make that, you know, a similar competition, but it's just not the same. So you kind of feel sorry for them. They got to build. They're trying to build it. I went to Army Air Force this year. It was in Texas, uh, and it was pretty weak. I mean, it was like like I think they 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 went to too big of a venue. They went to the uh, yeah. What, what, Dallas Cowboys. No, or they went the to Cowboys. the Cotton Bowl, didn't they? No, they went to the, where they play baseball. Where was it? The, the uh, oh, the Texas Rangers. The, it was, maybe it was, yeah, it was the Rangers. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, like it was empty. The whole stadium was yeah. empty because there just wasn't enough people. So next uh, year it's in Mile High in Denver. So yeah. you kind of worry. I mean, you got Fort Carson, but you're not gonna. They try to now. AOG tries to have reunions there are different classes because of covid they started doing their reunions at the army air force game but the people that i've talked to all have said it's just kind of weird because at least when you come back to west point everyone's walking around west point you have a kind of a pole but when you go away it's not quite the same pole yeah we there was talk of trying to do like a little uh reunion among our company at uh, either the Air Force game or the LSU game this upcoming year uh, down in Baton Rouge. So we may try to pull that off, a little Friar Palooza uh, meeting. Well, I, I do think, and this might be the a little early, but I think our class tailgate here is going to be October 6th. We keep getting bigger and better. I'm already starting to look at my gear because everyone liked the gear last year. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's going to be October 6th, which is Army Boston College. Right. And then Army's playing Navy the night before for uh, sprint football, too. I right? think so. Yeah. yeah so I think that's yeah. going to, that it's not set in stone. We're waiting to see if Mark's scheduled, but that'll be, that'd be a good weekend. 
So yeah, I think the home day, the home games in October are like the seventh, the fourteenth, and the twenty-eighth or something. Right? Yeah. I'm speaking like a true army fan because now I've got I've got my daughter going in there yeah. next year. So I'm looking to get all that lined up. And yeah, then we have a pretty soon we got our big box coming up. Big box. What big box? Our big football box, Jamie. Oh, oh that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. In 2025, though, that won't be until yeah. then. Yeah. yeah. So well, great. Of of the three of us, though, you're the one who's at West Point day to day. So Tell me what your life is like. You you are working in the physics physics lab, <laughs> physics department, right? Give me the uh, yeah yeah. So give I'm me the, uh, give me the day to day, and then give me how that walk how that morphs into or has any influence any connection at all to your walk up thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I uh, so right now I am uh, I'm a physical science lab tech. I work for the paint and nuclear engineering department, and um, and so I uh, I'm kind of a you know, I guess a fairly low level kind of rank as rank goes, but the, uh, but my job is awesome because I get to play all day. I, uh, I'm the guy that gets to, uh, make sure that all of like my responsibility is for space science. And so I'm responsible for everything astronomy. Uh, we have an observatory complete with a uh, completely automated dome and, uh, a 16 inch telescope you know, and working on getting it all automated. <clears throat> Most of it is. Uh, we've got uh, nine nine lab kits that we actively use for uh, cadets that are taking, that are either space science majors or that are taking astronomy as an elective. Um, and and so we we set those, they're, they're eight inch, you know, uh, reflective telescopes. And we set those up during the fall is when we do those labs. And uh, I've successfully been able to mi migrate that program from trying to cram everybody up on a, uh, like a, I don't know, maybe a 12 by 12 pad up on the, up on the roof of Bartlett Hall out to range 11, the old pop-up range. So now, you know, the, uh, so we've got the bus set up, the, uh, it picks them up. Uh, they, they go in the central guard room, they walk across the street over to uh, the West Point Club. And then they uh, they take it out to range 11 where I'm out there waiting for them. Got all the equipment out there, you know, electricity, everything's all wired. And uh, and it's kind of great because it's super dark you know, out there. They can really, you know, the conditions are much better than the plane, you know, for for, you know, doing you know astronomy, especially when we get to the point where we're doing, um, you know, uh, you know, space imaging, deep space imaging and um and, uh, you know, and it's also cool because I think they use it as an opportunity to kind of just chill out, you know, so somebody's always after they see how the first one's set up, somebody brings out their, you know, their Bluetooth, uh, you know, speaker, and they got their tunes kind of going in the background, they're all spread out out in the dark and, uh, and, and getting their stuff done. I even ordered this year, I ordered, uh, I ordered, uh, uh, like, if you go on a tour guide, you know, they have, uh, they give you the headset with the little box and you can listen to your you know, tour guide, you know, talking to everybody. I got one of those for our instructor, you know, the, the program director. So I'll issue all the cadets, you know, their headsets, you know, and I've got one on too. And, you know, Dr. Fiketa, who's our, uh, our program director, you know, as she's providing instruction or trying to explain or point different things out, they can all hear. So it's a, uh, it's a pretty chill environment for the cadets. I have a lot of fun because it's, uh, you know, it's just hands-on technical stuff. I kind of, I feel like, I feel like, uh, I feel like I'm still in dad mode from high school, you know, where I was helping my kids with their different science projects and stuff like that. And so that's, that's just one aspect. The other aspect is I even got them to, I got the army to send me to uh, 
to machining school. So I was in machining school for a year, qualified CNC machinist now in uh, both lathe, um, mill, uh, CAD using Mastercam, and also in some uh, robotics as far as automating those 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 projects and programs. And uh, you know, before I even finished that program, they had me coming out there to help them teach. But the uh, but by using that, I've been able to uh, fabricate a number of you know different items that you know that cadets come up with on their um, you know that they come up with requirements for on their individual research projects. So you know, so it's fun helping them either you know fabricate stuff out of you know you know out of metal we got 3d printers we have a laser cutter you know we've got a, a wood shop um and uh oh and we also have an electronics shop so i'm also you know using my you know as a computer science major so uh helping them teach them how to uh how to program you know raspberry pis to do certain functions you know like with um like we have a high altitude balloon you know that that project that we're working with a number of cadets and trying to program some some uh, automated features on that. I've uh, got a couple other teams that are, one's working on a, a NASA, you know, launch competition with rockets. So I'm helping them fabricate different parts of rockets. And another one is Spear, which is a multi, multi-departmental, you know, project where they're building rockets to actually, you know, homegrown rockets that'll actually, you know, get past, you know, 100,000 meters, which is technically we consider space. And so uh, helping them design certain aspects of that, they're making their own fuel, their own fuel burners and motors, designing all those uh, all those shapes and uh, and uh, and geometries. So that's so that's been a lot of fun. So I I um, yeah I feel like uh, there's there's more fun things for me to do than I could possibly do you know at any one given time and uh, and you know and I I get lots of uh, autonomy and. You know, because I get a lot done, I get a lot of flexibility. So, my day to day is uh, is really kind of different every day. But those are all the things that I get to to play in. So that's that's what I'm doing now. And you said that this connects to your um, theme song because you love messing around with the stuff. Like you love like the actual like like hands on like working with that stuff, right? Oh yeah. I mean, even from a as a young kid, you know, I mean, I've always been a tinkerer, you know, I've always loved digging around in, in mom's stuff that she brought in from home, you know, whether it be an old typewriter or, you know, find a television out in the, out in the, at our trash point, I used to, you know, take it apart, you know, probably not in a, not in a way that you could put it back together, but I was always interested in kind of getting my hands in that. And, uh, and so I guess my theme song, you know, obviously the theme song from Sanford and Son really kind of comes in that, you know, I mean, uh, Red Fox playing Fred Sanford, you know, he's, he's kind of, he's kind of out there in his own kingdom and he, and he's doing his own thing and making it and making things happen. I mean, he's, he's dealing with the same problems that everybody else has, but you know, he has a unique way of kind of going after him. And I feel like, you know, I've, I've made a conscious decision to kind of step off the, the standard path that I think most of, I've seen a lot of our classmates take into, uh, you know, out of the military and into more professional um, executive level lanes and I I just decided to follow kind of what I really have always longed to do and that's just to to do a lot you know to be a maker creator you know and kind of fabricating things and you know never really formally trained but uh but now I've kind of found that and so I just kind of feel like I get to let my proverbial professional hair down and uh and just do the things I enjoy doing and uh and not have to worry about some of the more uh 
I guess, political aspects, you know, of, of work that I used to. Greg, you should see his uh, workshop in his garage. He's got quite the quite the workshop there. So he goes from home to the workshop and then back to the office to the workshop. Oh, yeah. I mean, life gets in the way now. I mean, I, uh, I mean, I, just, nothing's changed, I think, in the hours that I put in, you know, into doing that kind of stuff. I just, now I'm just, I get mad. I hit Friday, I hit Friday at work and I get mad that I can't keep working on a project that I'm trying to get done. And uh, I have to fight real hard to not go back in there, you know, and to come home and spend some quality time at home. But what I've learned, like Holly just said, is I've got, I'm starting to amass a collection, you know, of, uh, of, you know, kind of workshop tools in my garage. And, uh, and so now I'm at the point where I can start doing some of those things for my wife, Karen. And uh, I find that the more that I can make and do for her, the more she doesn't mind that I'm not necessarily in the house all the time. <laughs> or I was going to say, the more you can do for her, the more she asks you to do for her. That's, that's fine. I, I really don't mind. I, I'll take orders from her all day long if it means I can keep working out there. I, I really love it. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not the, I'm not the greatest at it by any means. Um, a lot of it, I'm just learning. Thank God we have YouTube, right? You know, but, uh, you know, but it's just about, you know, having the, uh, having the access capacity and opportunity, you know, to be able to finally do that kind of stuff. I am, um, I, I'm really, I couldn't be happier, you know, with that, that situation. All right. Jamie, you can't hear you. Sorry. So Kenny Mintz just texted. He wants to know what projects you're working on at home. Yeah. So, well, right now, you know, like when I'm done here, I'm going to go right upstairs into uh, my, our guest bathroom, getting ready to, uh, uh, we've ripped everything out of there, gutted it, and just getting ready to put down a new floor, you know, and some molding, paint, repaint the walls, you know, and get that done. But you know, the, the, the project I got going in the garage is um, I'm redoing a, uh, a router table. So I'm, I'm rebuilding my router table. I got some uh, new insert and I can't wait to, uh, you know, to kind of redo the one that I built. I kind of built a pretty good one, but it was like for a small palm router in Germany. Now I've got a, a full size router and I can't wait to put that bad boy together out in the garage to put it next to my uh, you know, to put it next to my, uh, I got a, I got a pretty nice table saw, saw, saw stop. Uh, so I'll put it next to that. And, um, and then trying to finish building, building out some, uh, some tables and some more workspace in the garage. So that after that, the next project at home is to, is to actually build out some uh, furniture, you know, for the, uh, for our, our mudroom. Karen won't trust me with furniture, like real furniture yet. So I got to prove myself with the, with furniture for the mudroom. Greg and Karen have a, they live in a, this old house. So oh, yeah. it's, you it's just bought, they, they just bought it, I think pretty recently, right? Yeah. You moved to Cornwall. Yeah. Yep. Cornwall and the Hudson down in the village. We bought a, uh, we bought a house where the, the main portion, like the, I'm in the basement of the, the main portion here. And it was built, I guess, uh, right before the turn of the century. So into the 1800s. And then the, the addition we think was, was built like in the, the 30s the 30s or 40s um so it's a pretty old house and uh and so we came into it you know really with uh you know looking at all the potential and all the cool things that we thought we'd be able to do um i say that in past tense because the instead of like kind of spending time and money in those 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 fun creative things we started kind of digging in and figured out that there's there was some infrastructure that was kind of neglected 
or not updated, you know, as far as, I don't know, like insulation and balloon construction, you know, it's like really dangerous. So there was a lot of that, you know, that we kind of had to focus on first, but What's, yeah, balloon so now, what's balloon construction? I don't know yeah, balloon is. construction. So back in the day, you know, back when they tell you, you know, how like, you know, like two by fours today aren't two by fours. You know, they're pretty much like one and a half by three and a halfs. Right. You know, well, back in the day, they actually used to be two by fours. And another thing about the wood back then, it was, you know, it was a little bit more dense and it was, uh, it was plentiful. And so it was not surprising to build a, your house frame, like a multi-story house, two-story generally with, um, with the the outer studs and the walls that go all the way up the length of the building you know so it wasn't hard for them to you know like we do it by floor right and we separate them all off so you'll have walls that go up to a floor then it'll kind of cut off you wouldn't be able to like drop something inside a wall from the attic it had to go all the way down the wall to like the basement well that's what balloon construction is and one of the bad parts of that it's really horrible for uh <clears throat> for insulation and stuff like that because of how air flows in and out of that. But it's also really dangerous, like if you were to have a fire or something like mm. that, because there would be nothing to stop a fire from, you know, going all the way up and just engulfing your entire house. You know, so what we did is we um, we ended up we ended up going with that company sealed and we got the whole house, we got, you know, insulation blown into all of all of those spaces. So and it's fire retardant. So not only was it gonna help you know, keep our house warm and cool, but you know, it's, it's also making it a little safer. That's awesome. So you, I, just going back to your, I have, I have two questions. Number one is um, you're mentioning setting up this, this uh, telescope for the cadets and going out to range, range 11 or, you know, out, out in the boondocks. Um, is that for a class or is that like a club that they're doing that for? Yeah, no, that's, that's for a class. You know, so we do have, there is an astronomy club, <clears throat> um, that I will, I will work on and help kind of prepare things for, you know, but my focus is on the class. And so the class has, um, well, it used to have like six labs, but what we've done is we've combined them together. There's four, four labs that we do out at the range and uh, they're four hours each. And um, yeah, and so we have a SP 473, you know, observational astronomy and, uh, and the labs that they do are with the telescopes and the, uh, and the uh, astrophotography, you know, equipment that we have out at the range. It must be all like cows and firsties, right? There's not too many people, not too many uh, yucks and plebes taking astronomy class, I don't think, right? Yeah, no plebes. The, uh, I think we have had a yuck uh, involved. Um, you know, it, it's really kind of crazy, you know, some of the backgrounds of the, some of the cadets that come in because, you know, not everybody, I mean, they didn't have astronomy in my high school, you know, or I didn't even know anybody who did that, but we have some cadets that come in here that have done it a lot. And, uh, mm -hmm. and so it seems like, uh, I don't know, being a football player, we, we didn't have really much access to like a lot of independent study kind of things, but they have a lot of them here. And, um, and so the, a lot of these cadets are signing up for uh, doing independent research into things like I don't know, measuring the period of rotation of asteroids, you know, that are inside the Kuiper belt, you know, so, you know, closer to us, you know, than the Kuiper belt. And, uh, and it, you, you know, and, it, and it's so theoretical, it, it's kind of crazy, um, certainly way above anything that in my, in my head, you know, my job is to make sure the equipment works for them, but the, uh, but they're, they're, they're doing stuff, you know, really big brain stuff. And so it's, uh, 
Yeah, it's primarily more senior senior cadets. Wow. So uh, speaking of like um, the big brain stuff, and you know, you're you're you, you you said you oftentimes feel like you're undercover boss in this department, right? Can you talk about that dynamic at all? Yeah. So I think I feel like undercover boss when it comes to like the instructors and staff, you know, like the, uh, you know, like the the officers or some of the some of the civilian staff, um, you know, just because a lot of times, you know, they size you up based on, you know, you come in looking like you're like Sanford and son. And so they just assume they assume certain things, you know, and then it doesn't take long once you start talking to them that they realize that they're they're probably talking to somebody that's uh, a little bit different than what they thought when it comes to the cadets it's um i feel like i feel like i'm i feel like uh i feel like kind of like when i was a football coach you know i was like football coach in high school in germany and so i mean i used to just love riffing you know with uh with the you know with the the kids with the players and uh and the same thing happens with the cadets i mean these cadets have some pretty cool personalities they're funny but you know, but some of them, when they first see you, you know, they, they'll come up and they're like, uh, yeah, major so-and-so said that uh, I should come in here and, and you needed to do blah, 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 blah. You know, they're trying to like order you around or something or tell you to do something, you know, <laughs> and it's just, uh, and so it, I'm trying to find an example, but. Let me use it. Well, back when I was a company commander, back when I was, you know, a, a battalion S3 or whatever, like that you're, or, you know, when I graduated back in the day, like they're just assuming that you are you know, the help essentially like, in yeah, that, exactly. In that. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes it'll, I usually don't even have to come out quite that, that concrete, like, well, you know, when I came here, this is how we used to do it. So how do you guys do it now? Or something like that. You know, I, right. I've, I've never really had to do that. Usually I could just, I can just ask a question about, you know, kind of what their responsibilities are or uh, you know, you know, it, they, they, they figured out pretty quick when I, when I kind of, I, I talk at a level that's much deeper into their life than they're than they're expecting me to even know about, and so the uh, they they pick up on it quick. But yeah, so there there are times where, uh, like for instance, there was uh, when I was doing the labs up on Mahant or up on top of Bartlett Hall, and uh, and I think while I was in there, one of the cadets we were just talking off to the side, and and I was just you know, just talking about kind of what they're doing now and what, what I've done or when I graduated, you know, but it wasn't going to a lot of detail about it. And then, uh, and so I heard from one of the instructors, they came around, and they says, Hey, uh, you know, one of the cadets came up and asked, he goes, Hey, uh, so Mr. Mo, is he, uh, is he used to be an officer? Really? Is, is he cool? He seems kind of cool. What's he doing here? You know, they, they start, they start getting suspicious, you know, like, what are you up to? What's happening right here? You know, they, they kind of feel like they're getting set up or something, but yeah. But they, the they call part, you Mr. Mo. That's what they call you, Mr. Mo. Yeah. Mr. Mo. That's, that's what I go by. I mean, I, that's, that's always been, it's like LT Mo, Captain Mo, Major Mo, Colonel Mo. Now it's Mr. Mo. Mr. Mo. Cool. That's funny, Greg. Cause now that I'm not at West Point, um, but I've gone back and I start kind of coaching the little, in the little, club soccer club that I started and so I don't know a lot of the people and so I'll be coaching with kind of like captains or majors and and I'm in there just running the thing and all of a sudden someone who knows me will come up and I've told them all just you know call me coach Holly but some of the people who know me they'll come up and they'll say ma'am and all of a sudden I'll see the captain or major like swing their head yep, and kind yep. of look mm -hmm. and be like you know <laughs> so you know what, what are you doing now? And we're, and then they try to figure out like who I am. And I was kind of like, yeah, I was, I was in the army. And then, 
immediately they're like, oh, oh, and I'm like, don't worry about it. Just call me Holly. But it's, it, I feel the same thing. It's like yep. this undercover people don't know who you are. So the cool thing about it, I found is that, uh, especially when you're, you're working with the rotators, like the captains, you know, the, yeah. the, the younger, younger instructors, um, you know, because they're, they're hitting different kinds of stress and different, you know, responsibilities and, and dealing with their own dilemmas. And, and I like, I like it that they'll, they'll share different things that they're dealing with and just to be able to, you know, just, you're not coaching them so much, but you're, you're just providing some insight, you know, yep. into kind of how to think about stuff. And I, I found that that's, that's been really rewarding, you know, to me, um, to be able to kind of provide that without, you know, any strings attached, just like, Hey, you know what? I'm just consider me like uncle Mo, <laughs> you know, yep. I'll, I'm going to help you out a little bit on how to, how to look at this. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, but I think that the, the feeling that comes up more, more than anything is, is I feel like I'm still, I feel like I get another crack at being, being dad, helping my kids with, you know, different science fair projects and stuff like that. And, and just figuring out different ways to put stuff together. Cause that was one of my favorite things I used to love doing with my kids, you know, so they've always had pretty cool stuff and I'd always make sure that they did all the work, you know? And so it's the same kind of thing. Have you had any overlap with people you serve with in the army that are now at West Point? Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, serve with, yeah. So like, uh, because obviously the, I mean, every once in a while I'll run into folks that are in our class or within the, the, the few span of years that we were there. Um, but like, for instance, like the, the deputy, you know, where I work now was, uh, <laughs> he was a, a captain, captain in the, 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 the training office, you know, you know, G3 training at, at first cab when I was the, you know, the division IO officer, you know, and so now he's uh, the colonel, you know, deputy for our department, you know, and I, when I look at him, I still, you know, see that little young captain, you know, just like high energy, eyes wide open, just trying to make stuff go as we're getting ready to deploy to Iraq. Um, so, yeah, I, I do, I do pop in, you know, I do see names pop up from, um, from different, different assignments I've had or different, you know, deployments. Um, I would say though, from, you know, where I'm at, you know, because my, my work is so kind of like down in it's uh, I don't get that many opportunities to, to, to kind of inter interact or interface with um, folks from other departments, but I do see them out there on, in different, you know, settings. Like for instance, Al Boyer, who's just a head of DMI, you know, he and I worked together like on a daily basis at AFRICOM, you know, and as I was the deputy public affairs officer and he was, you know, in charge of the commander's action group. And so, you know, we'd work together with him and, you know, our, our league ad and, you know, our um, Paul Mill officer and constantly coming up with, uh, you know, kind of how to attack different, you know, political problems, you know, for the commander. And so, you know, for him to come in, you know, it was just kind of like nothing had changed. Of course, that was my last assignment as a civilian, you know, before I, before I came over here. Is this your first time? You didn't teach at West Point as a. You didn't come back as a P or anything. You, so your first time back to West Point was as a retired uh, uh, Army officer, right? Yeah, yeah. I um, first time, yeah, you know, being assigned here, actually working here, absolutely. Yeah. So kind of a big jump, and I like Holly's seen it from all these different angles. You came back like, you know, as a as like a, I guess a company rate officer as a junior field grade, and you came back again, and you grew up there. Like you've seen a lot of the evolution, so maybe you don't see like the big jumps because you're you're so close to it. But were there any big changes that you saw, Greg, that were like, 
holy cow, I can't believe that this is now happening at West Point compared to when we were there. They don't pay. <laughs> I, you know, well, I came back enough times to see that. My little brother was a 99 grad, so I, I kind of watched that happen. But Oh, I didn't realize that. That's cool. I think that the biggest thing that kind of that hit me that I, I was consciously aware of, but <clears throat> the optic didn't hit me until I came back, were... <clears throat> We're all really the the number of females that we have here. Um, the, I mean, I, I knew that we had more, and I thought it was awesome. Um, but then I would see, you know, females kind of walking around in like clumps every once in a while, you know, and it, and it really made it kind of seem like there was like more females sometimes than there were males, which obviously isn't the case. But it's just, uh, I think, just because of how how I was conditioned to seeing West Point, that it really kind of caught my eye. You know, and and obviously, you know, being a little senior and working with a lot more females, women, you know, in my career, I didn't think it would, I didn't think it would, I would even notice it, but I absolutely did. It 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 kind of, and, and then I was kind of wondering, I was like, why is this hitting me? And then Holly said, well, because they're they they do they, they travel around in packs sometimes, and it makes it seem like there's more. You know, she tells, what do you tell them? You, you tell them like to, to intermingle more or something like that? Yeah. I mean, I, I always, when I was working with the women cadets, I would tell them, I'm like, you know, now there's power in numbers. And so you do see them, you see them running together, you see them walking together, you see them wherever. And I said, that just wasn't there when we were cadets because it was only 10%, but now at 25%, they can, they can kind of find their people, um, amongst the women, which is kind of cool. Uh, here's a quick, Greg, just when you said it, because my my niece, who's class of 2015, and my daughter's class of 2021, um, have gotten me in on trying not to use the word female. Mm. And I don't know if you've heard that, because they said the counterpart, the opposite of female is rarely used. You just did use it, but it's rarely used. It's something, Jamie, I'm telling you as a as the father of a future cadet when someone going to the army, it, it's just true. You, you hear female officer, female pilot, female cadet, female ranger, and what's the opposite? It's not male cadet, male ranger, male pilot. You just don't hear that or even male officers. And so my niece, she actually might be doing her master's thesis on just kind of the use of that word and how it's holding holding the army back. So anyway, I, just, I thought that was interesting. But Greg, you actually did say male cadets in there. So I appreciate that. You know, I, I I just had a, a memory of like female in the barracks, like at a, at a <laughs> at <laughs> like grabbing for a towel. Holy shit! Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I say it as much as anyone, and that's why when she said something to me, I was like, and then I've noticed because I'm cognizant of it, I've noticed how often I use it, and when I use it, it's because I'm looking to distinguish them to be different. It's not. It's yeah, it is weird that it's a word that's so ingrained in what we say, especially in the military, that uh, it's hard to break the habit. You, you know, I'm just thinking about, you, you remember at Buckner, the showers, like we're right in the middle of the barracks. There was like mm -hmm. two sides of it. And so like, and then the women's little alcove was off. So obviously that has to have changed now, but. Um, no, it hasn't. Those barracks have not changed. But, but but with 25% women, how would, there's not They just kind of changed, they changed the door. So it used to be only like four in a room. And so they changed that back door, I think is only to get into the, where the women are, but they still have that same kind of little shower. They don't oh, stay really? at Buckner. I mean, at Buckner, that's why we're redoing it. They're not at Buckner 
per se for very long. So they're not in the barracks, they're out in the field most of the time. So when they come in, I think they kind of uh, figured out because like when a woman, like when a, when a woman or female, uh, whatever the right, you know, when a, when a woman would come into the barracks, you know, female in the barracks, you wouldn't know she's going to be walking up to where the shower is or not. Like, like right. either, you either got to be female in the barracks in the, in the front or female in the barracks in the back, but yeah. like, you don't, so. Now like, I think they've separated them. So you can't, there might be a door, but I think like you go into one door and that's where the women are and you go into the other door and that's where the men are. Um, and because they kept the bathrooms in the same spot. Do you remember, um, obviously, Holly, you were, you're going to remember who you were at Buckner with, like your female, who, who, were, you, who were your female buddies with at, at Buckner in that, in that back? Yeah, I had, uh, it was Colleen Crisillo, Becky Canis. Um, and who was the other one? Colleen, Becky, and I'm having a brain fart. I think it was Laurel Cousins. Do you, do you remember Greg who was in yours? Who was in I, I was in the back. So like like there was like just paper thin walls. You could talk to the women on the other side of the wall. Like the, like we were I was in the back of the barracks, right? So it was it was Stacy Manning, Francesca Zamba, Janet Greco, and another um another uh female cadet, woman cadet who um didn't graduate. I think it was Anne Cavallo, maybe was her, her name. Hmm. But but we would be talking back and forth like through that little that like the thin um, uh, sheet metal that was there. It was, it was what a what an interesting sort of yeah piece of West Point that is you know. Mm -hmm. I remember talking to Holly and Tammy through the uh, through the medicine cabinet in our yeah in our that was in regular barracks. But I don't I don't remember. You know, it, it listening to these podcasts, it blows me away how you guys remember all those details about who was where, when, and, and well, you what know, experience. You know, I can't say that I remember, except that I'm, I'm like in my mind, I'm going back to it. And then Holly says something, and I have like a flash to like you said, female in the barracks made me think about that whole yeah. dynamic. But the other yeah, so Bradley Barracks, going back to what Greg said, we roomed right next to each other, and Bradley Barracks, when we're plebes and couldn't go out in the hallway, we realized that if you opened up your mirror and looked through there was like a little air vent that yep. if the people on the other side opened up their mirror you could kind of like look in and and talk through that and be like what's for what's for breakfast or ask what's the uniform whatever so one of my favorite stories was uh we could hear commotion going on next door and it was greg mcgavro and jim farney and doug Kling were rooming together <laughs> and so it was it just sounded like chaos next door and so we start like knocking on the wall and, you know, we've got our, our little window or mirror open trying to look in and all of a sudden they open up their mirror and we're like, what's going on? And Doug's like, oh, not a whole lot. We're just putting Jim Farney in the dry cleaning bag. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Now we put him, we it. put him in a mattress, in a mattress liner. <laughs> Stuff that you just do at West Point for fun. You know, we, we were um, in the, um, divisions so like we had like the the rooms were connected by the medicine cabinet but it was a whole other division that was there it could be a whole other company that was mm -hmm. there and we had this great this guy greg napparello he was class of 89 and i remember i was a plebe or something he, he calls me into his room he goes watch this schleck i'm gonna do a systems check right and he like turns his radio up to like level 10 right he goes see the radio works and then he's waiting, and there's a phone. He had a phone in his room, and the phone starts ringing. He goes, "The phone works too." It was the it was the kid out on the other side of the wall, like calling to complain to turn down the radio. 
<laughs> so, you know, speaking of saying so, Greg, you said something that I hadn't heard in so long. Like occasionally these little nuggets of things come up and it's so funny. You said, it a fit a fine. Yeah, it a fit a fine. 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 <laughs> it a fit a fine. So tell me that story again. So it, um, I think it kind of became a colloquialism, you know, in my family, because it was one of the things that, that, uh, one of the things I brought from West Point that I just, I still use even today, you know, but if you remember, you know, WB4, when you used to go down to get your uniform altered and, uh, and there was like a couple times during the year where they would give you like new uniforms. And so they, you know, they, they wouldn't be the right length or they wouldn't have a hem in them. And so you'd have to go down there. They you'd stand on the box and the Italian tailors would pin you all up, put all the markings on there and then put the next person on there and, uh, you'd get your stuff back and, and, uh, and they, you know, inevitably be too short or too long or one's not the same length as the other one. And so you'd have to go back down there to see if you couldn't get it altered to get it fixed. And uh, <laughs> and a lot of times, you know, the, uh, you know, the answer you get is it a fit a fine and they wouldn't make the they wouldn't make the change. And so I remember one time uh, I think it was Doug Kling, you know, came back and and uh, he was a little upset about, you know, the hem that he had on his uh, his pants. And it was he was asking us what we thought, you know, after, you know, his second time through. And, you know, I think I could see his ankles on there, you know, above his low quarters. He goes, well, I went down there to get it fixed. And all I said, is it a fit of fine? <laughs> and then they made me keep going. So it's, uh, it's one of those kind of one size fits all. Don't ask me any questions or any details. It's just it a fit of fine, keep moving. And so, you know, so that, that kind of analogy can, you know, lend itself to a lot of different situations. Speaking of uh, WB4, so uh, I had like, you know, you get called down at WB4 based upon your alphabetical name, like 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 the drill roll, like SCH, you know, go down to WB4 and get your, you know, your footlocker or get your, your, Chris, your, uh, your uh, travel luggage or whatever. So um, Eric Schmacker is like SCHM, I was SCHL. So we would always be down there at around the same time. I didn't know this guy at all, you know. And uh, so I just remember the name and I was actually, you guys may know, cause Kenny's posted, Kenny Mintz's daughter was in this very horrific um, uh, incident over New Year's with, with a, a facial injury. And thankfully she's on the mend and we're praying for her. But I was able to look up Eric Schmacker because through our, our um, through Sally Port, I found out he's a president of a hospital out there in Las Vegas. So just the, the small little connection, like this is a guy who's been kind of off the grid. I don't think he's on Facebook. He's not too active, but I found his, I found his, um, his email and I emailed him and like two minutes later, he wrote back, I'm calling Kenny right now. Like it was like instant, like the power of the connection that we have among our class. And like, he was able to hook up, you know, Kenny with talking to the president of that hospital where his daughter was and it was very, very helpful. But it just made me think of WB4, but also the power of connection, the power of looking out for each other. Um, and that was uh, that was great. So a uh, little sidebar about WB4. So, so Jamie, I'm going to give mine. And this is about Greg, because we were talking about this on the pre-call. Um, so this year I joined the, the Daughters of the United States Army. And so we're responsible for doing the Reese Across America at the, or we're one of the, one of the organizations that helped sponsor it. And so I was getting involved at the West Point and, and doing it. And while I've done this for many, many years, I didn't know that <clears throat> until I got to this job that 
as a class, we could have someone go and do it. And we, we have our own time to go and lay the wreaths on our classmates' um, grave sites. And so when I was talking to the woman, I knew I couldn't be there that weekend. So I called Greg, you know, and said, hey, would you want to do this? And in a moment, he's like, yep, got it, done. So, so Greg went and laid the wreaths on all of our classmates' graves who are located at West Point. Pretty cool. Thank you yeah, for doing that, that. That's a pretty, that's a pretty moving experience. I mean, it's, uh, and I, I, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that. In fact, I, uh, I haven't posted the pictures yet just because I wanted to put, put together at least, uh, I took some pictures out of our yearbook to have their little, you know, their little headshot with the, the caption that they did our first year. And, and I wanted to overlay that on the, on the, you know, the pictures that I took of the, the headstones or the, or the, the, the memorial plaques there. And um, yeah, so, I mean, with the opportunity to walk around and, and see all those headstones and, and see those names and not only our classmates, but then, you know, cause I didn't know most of them personally, but the, uh, but seeing the faces, you know, I recognized and, uh, and then seeing some of the other tombstones that are there, some of the other dates and, um, it, it was just, it was just really moving and it, and I, and it, was, it was very special. Um, but I, uh, but I wanted to, A, I wanted to make sure that I did it at least some justice because I didn't want to just, cause like me, if I think if I saw the picture of just a tombstone and a name, I might not remember who they were. And so I wanted to have something that I would appreciate to be able to at least kind of connect with them a little deeper. So I'm going to, I'm going to put those up. Um, <clears throat> I, I guess, but the other thing too, is that, you know, because we have, you know, we have a number, you know, of uh, classmates that are there. Um, yeah, we can actually have multiple people, you know, show up to, uh, to do our, our class when they do that, because they did, they, they do do it every year. And so yeah. um, it was raining pretty hard that day, but the, uh, but it was, it wasn't horrible. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think that that would be a great opportunity to bring folks that are, kind of have a window of opportunity, you know, just to bring a few folks in to do it every year. I think I, I really want to thank you, Holly, for, for letting me even, I didn't even know that was there. You know, I've, yeah. I've seen Boy Scouts do that kind of thing. I've done it with Boy Scouts at other vet cemeteries, but I, um, you know, that was, that was, that was really special. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I agree, Greg. And I, I reached out to you because it was short notice. And I knew you were very, the most local, but um, next year, I think we will reach out and, open it up to more classmates, especially who are local, who want to come in and, and do the same thing. And maybe we can kind of have a class get together about around it and mm. doing it. Yeah, well, that'd be cool. See, I like how you think, Holly. You're always always thinking about different ways of bringing our class together. Uh, she always is. It's amazing. You're, you're an amazing classmate. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, Greg, let's maybe turn the hands of time back to pre-1987, like growing up, Buffalo, <laughs> What made you interested in West Point? What made you think about it? Like, tell me that whole, that whole story. Yeah. So, you know, what I tell people, you know, the easiest answer for me is, you know, what, what made you want to go to the, you know, the United States Military Academy? And I'll tell you, it was, uh, well, it was the, the United States Air Force Academy. It was, um, I was, I, uh, I started out, I start, you know, I started out like a lot of people kind of on the, the bad side of town. Um, my mom, you know, as she kind of worked hard to kind of get us out of that situation. Um, one of the things that she did when we moved to the north side of Buffalo, which, you know, was 
primarily all Italian, um, was got me involved with Boy Scouts. And, uh, and you know, and one of the things that my mom used to do, you know, as a single mom is to bring a bring us camping every year, no matter what. We used to go up to New England. So I, I enjoyed camping from a very young age. And, and then, uh, you know, so I just looked at Boy Scouts. We had an active, pretty active troop. We did most, you know, we spent most of our time, we, we went camping a lot. Wintertime, summertime, it didn't matter. Anyway, so she, uh, but our, our troop did everything local. She heard about this, uh, I don't know, a lot of, well, people are in Boy Scouts probably know of a place called Philmont, New, you know, Philmont, it's, uh, it's in Cimarron, New Mexico, and it's like a, it's like a Boy Scout mecca, you know, for all Boy Scouts all over America, and uh, and so she found a troop that was on a more well-to-do side of the town that was organizing a trip, and so she uh, she she scraped together some cash and and got me into that, you know, before they deployed, and so I, uh, so we ended up taking a bus you know, over a, a number of days from Buffalo, New York, all the way down to Cimarron, New Mexico. Uh-huh. And, uh, and the way we did that was we stopped at uh, different, mostly Air Force bases. So I'm thinking that one of the, one of the scoutmasters or something like that must have probably been former Air Force. I know that the, the scoutmaster was former, I think it was former Marine or Army from Vietnam. And, uh, but anyway, we stopped at, we would like sleep, we put up cots like in the gym or, or different parts. But, uh, and so we would do a little bit of sightseeing on the way down as well. And one of the places we stopped was as we we're going through Colorado was the Air Force Academy. And uh, I had pretty much been programmed, you know, very young age that, you know, college was the way I wanted, you know, I wanted to go. You know, my mom, you know, definitely made sure that I knew that that was, that's, you know, where it was at. I had to do it. And so and, and you uh, said, just to interrupt, just to, go back one second you said that your mom growing up she didn't have a lot of educational opportunities it was kind of a semi-oppressive experience that she had around schooling and from her parents and like oh yeah you're not going to amount to much and so she wanted with all of her heart that her her son was going to go to college right my mom's a pretty special lady you know she uh i think the one her strongest characteristic uh that i benefited the most from is that she's tenacious and uh yeah she so she came from a household fairly abusive physically and emotionally and uh, in fact they they kicked her out of the house (laughs) they kicked her out of the house when she was on her on her 18th birthday uh and uh and the way they did it was you know she was she she went off to be a uh i don't know i think a a camp counselor or something at a local camp uh for money for the summer and when when she came back home you know the 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 door was locked. She didn't have a key. And they told her, you know, you're no longer welcome here. And so that, that's, that was her transition into adulthood, but mm. she grew up with, uh, you know, her dad and her, her stepmom telling her that, you know, that she was, she was basically stupid, you know, would never amount to anything and not to bother even trying to go to school or college any further because, you know, she wasn't smart enough. And so, um, so she was, uh, you know, so I think as I was growing up, she put herself through uh, community college while she was working. You know, so she was going to school during the day, working all night, you know, and studying. I don't know when she ever slept. And uh, and she, you know, she worked hard. She got her a nursing degree and uh, was able to basically work herself up into an RN and had a full career and retired as a, a registered nurse. Um, but uh, I think the, the biggest impression she made upon me when I was a kid you know, I think I was like in kindergarten or first grade. Um, 
in a Catholic school. First time I remember ever being part of a, an award ceremony. And so they, they, uh, they started calling up people for different, you know, academic awards. And they called me up there so many, you know, like almost for every class I was in, I was getting called up for an award, you know, and I, I was just, uh, I wasn't trying for it. I didn't know it existed. And when I came back, I mean, my, my mom was like, a, she was a mess. I mean, she couldn't even breathe because she was crying so hard because she was proud, you know, that, that, uh, you know, that I wasn't, you know, that I was doing well in school. And, and you know, that even though she was supposedly stupid, you know, from what her parents told her that, you know, her son was, you know, was, was doing well academically. And, and, that, and I think that made a, a huge impression on me. And from that point forward, I mean, doing well, you know, or succeeding or, or above, you know, doing above average, you know, in, in academics and getting awards was, was something that, you know, I kind of committed to from that point forward. And so how, how did you do, how did you do at West Point? Computer you know, science I was, major. I was kind of middle of the road, you know, until, you know, until the, till you know, second semester, first year when I wasn't playing football, then I made the Dean's list once, you know, but the, uh, I would say that the, <laughs> you know, so I would say that, you know, like my freshman year, our plebe year, I mean, I did horrible. I mean, like 2.0. Um, and then you know, uh, I like that, you know, like the exact same. And then you, and then you have the common sense or the, the, what makes you choose computer science? Like one of the toughest majors is twice to work for half the grade. Right. So what, like I did the same thing. I can't like, like um, I'm proud of saying I'm the top, um, I'm the top 5% of the bottom half of the class. Yeah, yeah, I can say the same thing. Yeah, you know, so it was uh, well, computer science. Well, when I when I first went there, I thought I was going to be uh, I wanted to be a chemical engineer, you know. So I was like, because I I had like so the problem was is that I think where I came from in Buffalo, um, you know, the I don't think the academics were quite up to par with maybe the rest of the country, and so when I got to West Point, um, the where I thought I was going to like crush chemistry because I like had almost like a, a 99.9 average that, you know, both semesters I had that I, uh, I went there and like, I, it felt like within the first week and a half, we had covered everything that I knew. And then we're going into uncharted territory and I, and I felt completely lost, you know? And so I was, I was kind of a wreck, you know? And, uh, but the other thing that I'd done, you know, kind of goes back to, I think, you know, my affinity for technical kind of hands-on things is, uh, when I was in high school, I took a, a new elective, which was computer science. You know, we had Apple IIe's and we're working on basic and, and uh, I learned how to program well enough to where, you know, the instructor was basically handing me books to keep me engaged in her class because I had already surpassed everything that she knew, you know, but I just looked at that as like this side hobby, you know, just like a fun thing to do. And, uh, and so when I figured out that chemistry you know, I, that, that wasn't going to be something I was going to be able to manage there. I was kind of depressed. I didn't know what the heck I would study because I, you know, that we were all that everything was kind of in that basket. And then we took that one, that one class, second semester, plebe year it was a turbo Pascal, you know, the computer programming thing. And once, once I kind of figured out that it was pretty much the same stuff that I had before, you know, I was like, Oh, I'm going to do this. You know, this, I know this stuff. And so it, um, you know, so I, I went into computer science really just because, you know, it, it, it matched, you know, things that I was interested in, you know, at that time. So I was, I feel like I was kind of lucky, you know, because I had, I had not had that class as a freshman, I would have never selected it. Here's a quick nugget about Greg being a, a computer science major. So when we all got our big old Zenith 248s that we didn't even know what to do with, 
it was in the spring of our plebe year. I'm pretty sure it might've been our, now that I think about it, it might've been our yearling year. And Scott Kobita, his dad worked in computers somehow. I don't even know how, but somehow Scott Kobita told us all that he could order us hard drives. And we had no idea what those were, but he said, I can order hard drives. And then Greg said, I can put them all in. And we were like, so not everybody did it, but there was probably like 10 or 12 of us that were willing to say, okay, if we don't have to put in these disks, whatever it is, it'll make our computers. So we went on a risk and, and let Greg start tinkering with the insides of our Zenith 248. And he put in hard drives so that we didn't have to have the startup disk and we didn't have to have, I think it was enough to where you could keep Every program we had would fit on there. Would fit on it, right? You still yeah. couldn't store on it. That wasn't you. So you still had to have a disk to store on it. But all the programs, the Word and Quad Lotus, all of those things could fit on it, so that you didn't have to put in the startup disk in and out. It was uh, twenty megabytes. Twenty yeah. megabytes. Was it was probably time. like it was probably like five hundred dollars for that too. Twenty megabytes. And this is, yeah, I, I don't remember, but Greg put them all in. We were just like, "How do you know how to do that? What is this?" Oh, that was yeah. that was a lot of fun. That was uh, money though when we were cadets because everyone then wanted one. And at that point, you know, the deal was off. So those people who didn't have it would come in the rooms of those people who did and said, Hey, can I type my paper? Because they realized it was a lot easier. Bob Brinson just piped into the channel. He said, Greg's actually a genius. For the little minute, for the little bit of time he's actually spent on homework, his grades were awesome. That's what he said. <laughs> you, well. You can't mail it in with computer science, though. Like, you cannot. You have to put time in on that. That's like it's hard to to not spend some time on that. Yeah, I you felt know, that the uh, the uh, my other classes, it was so hard for me to manage all those classes with, especially yeah. HBA history and that stuff. That you know, it was probably it took me probably like twelve years after we graduated to finally give up, like this little secret goal that I had that I was going to go back and redo the uh, projects that I knew I didn't have enough time to do to do justice against. I wanted to go back and do them again. That's, that's how much I loved it. You said though, like your, your life kind of took a little bit of a dark turn in Cal year. Like you, 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 you kind of like really stopped. Like academics were not, you weren't doing so great in, in any front, right? Cause you went home and, and, and there was, a, there was an experience you had from that. So what happened there? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, my cow year, I think I came pretty close to uh, to either leaving West Point or getting kicked out. I mean, one of those two things were that's that's the trajectory I was on. I, I went home, um, I went home the uh, for for after, you know summer leave, you know, or after a yearling year, and uh, I had a my best friend, you know, from high school uh, was. Uh, he used to always give me crap when I, I would come home on leave and, and then I'd call him up like two days later after I'd kind of gotten home with the family. And he used to get so mad that I didn't like, you know, look him up right away because, you know, he missed me so much. And, and, um, and, and I remember um, one time, you know, that I'd come home and I think it was, uh, you know, I guess, you know, for one of the holidays, I guess maybe it was like Thanksgiving or something like that or Christmas you know, during, uh, during our yuck year. And, uh, and he, he started kind of getting mad at me that, that I left him, that I abandoned him and that, that I wasn't, you know, that I was picking other friends over him. You know, it was, it was you know, kind of kid stuff, right. Immature. Um, but obviously it has a big impact on you when you're, when you're that old. And, uh, 
And one of the things was that, you know, because you don't, you know, look me up right when you come home. So, uh, so this time I was going to do it, came home, you know, got to the house, uh, my, uh, that summer, uh, borrowed my mom's car. I was going to say, I got to go. Thanks mom. I'm home, but I'm going to go over and, uh, surprise Brian. It's going to be my first stop before I even eat dinner or I, maybe it was right after dinner or something. And I, when I got there, I was greeted by, you know, his mom and his sister and found out that, uh, that he was in the hospital, that he, he had gotten admitted that day um, because he had attempted, you know, he attempted to take his own life. He had, he had taken a bunch of his mom's, you know, blood pressure pills and, um, you know, and then they had to call the ambulance, you know, cause he was having a, an issue with his girlfriend, you know, and, uh, and so he, he decided, uh, I think it might've been more of an ideation, you know, than anything. Maybe he wasn't, maybe he thought he would, it wouldn't be that bad, but long story is, uh, you know, it ended up, it ended up taking his life and, um, and it, but it took, it took a few days and, uh, and there was a period of time in there where it looked like he might come out of it. And so I was, I would go visit him every day and I, I, I would, uh, and I guess one of the last, the last day, actually, when I thought he was really doing well and I'm trying to get them to, you know, take the intubation tube out and like, Hey, we need to go out. You know, I got time. Let's go do something. And, uh, he can't talk, right. He's, he's got to write everything down because he's intubated. And I remember the last thing he wrote, he goes, he goes, I understand. He goes, you want to go do stuff, you know, with your other friends. He goes, I'll be fine here. You know, go ahead. You know, and he was like starting to cry, you know, and, uh, and I was, you know, and that wasn't my point. You know, my, my point was, no, I want to do stuff with you. I'm trying to motivate you and them, you know, to get you out of there, to get better. And, uh, you know, and I stayed there a little bit more. I tried to explain that. And then, uh, and there was that night that he, that he passed, you know? And so it was, um, it, it was kind of tough, you know, because I, I, I just don't respond to that very well. And, um, it wasn't a, it was almost like I didn't respond to that at all. You know, it was, it was like, I was just numb, you know, watching everybody around us, all our closest friends and family kind of losing it, you know, and getting real emotional. And, and uh, for some reason, that's not how I respond, you know, to situations like that. And so I just kind of went, almost kind of went numb, almost dead inside, you know, kind of thing. And uh, anyway, but I, I did know that I, I really felt, I felt a sense of responsibility, you know, like if I was there, you know, if I hadn't, you know, if I wasn't at West Point or if I never left, you know, that that wouldn't happen. I kind of felt like I left, my, let my friend down, you know, and, um, and that coupled with, you know, really not knowing how to kind of, I mean, everybody reached out to me. Everybody's like, no, you must, why aren't you, I mean, you can cry. It's okay. And I'm like, I know it's okay. I don't, I don't feel like it's not okay. It's just, it's just not, impacted me that way and and uh and I think what happened was I mean I just I don't I don't really I still don't know what happened but I just I just know that it, it just uh I was just kind of going through the motions after that and uh and 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 I was so numb to everything nothing all the good things in my life were like I don't know eating eating you know I don't know a cracker or something I mean, it was just like like water, like tasteless, tasteless bread. And, and so, so the first thing that went was, um, I, uh, I, I quit the football team. I went to the coach, you know, and I, and I, and I didn't use that as a reason. Cause I, I, I kind of thought I was over that, you know, I, I wasn't really focusing in on my buddy, Brian. I was just, 
I was just walking around in this funk. I was, I was living in this, this, this emotional funk um, and not understanding why I wasn't really connecting it to, to my buddy, Brian, you know, who had passed away. And, um, and so the first thing was football. I, uh, it was, it was probably like halfway through summer training or two a days that I knew that I was like, man, this, I'm not getting anything out of this. I don't know why I'm out here. You know, this is, this is just dumb, you know? And, uh, and, but I, but at the same time, you know, I didn't, I didn't want anybody to think that I was quitting because it was, you know, too hard for me. So I, I, I remember waiting. I wanted specifically waited until two a days were over. So all the hard parts of, you know, practice were, were done. So nobody could accuse me of being a quitter because it was hard. And, uh, but I wanted to stop before we started doing like uh, game prep, you know, for our first game, because I didn't, you know, because I felt that would, that was, I was working kind of like second string. And so that would have been reps, you know, that somebody behind me wouldn't have got, you know, had I stayed on all the way that far. So I, I picked that as my spot to, uh, to make the move, went and talked, told coach, you know, and he says, are you sure? Yes, I'm how's sure. That, wait, how's that go? Like, so you say, coach, I need to talk to you. Like, you, like go into his office privately and say, this is what's going to happen. I think I might've just done it right after practice, you know, on the field. I mean, I, I was, I was really that, that numb. You're that numb. numb like, hey, uh, by the way, I quit. Yeah, you know, I was just like, hey, coach, just want to talk to you real quick. I don't think I made an appointment or anything. I think I just like dropped the bomb, you know. And I remember he was kind of like, you know, he didn't know what to say because I, I was actually doing really well. I would have, you know, I, I would have um, definitely would have got some playing time that year. And uh, I mean, I was already on first string, you know, special teams from the year before. And so, I mean, I was on the right trajectory. Everything was going wonderful. Um, but you know, my heart, my heart wasn't in anything and it certainly wasn't in that. And so I, uh, and so he, his, his big point was like, are you sure, you know, cause once you go, you can't come back, you know? And, uh, I said, no, I'm sure. And I was just very matter of fact, you know, about it, you know, and, it, and I think that might've thrown him too, but, and so I left, you know, and then, um, and then shortly after that, you know, I, uh, I, uh, <laughs> it was that same, you know, maybe the next month, you know, Karen, my, my wife, who was my fiance at the time, um, 2%, she actually, 2%, you're a two percenter. Yeah. I'm a two percenter. She, we went to high school together and then she found out I was, I was coming to West Point and then she found a school that was right next to West Point, Mount St. Mary's in Newburgh, which, uh, had the program that she was looking for. And so she's like, Hey, this is a no brainer. I'm going to go, I'm going to go to school up there. And so, uh, was, so I, um, I'm sorry. It was Karen also friends with your friend, Brian as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. We yeah. were all, all best friends. And, wow. um, and, um, yeah, in fact, he helped, he helped introduce us, but really. So then I just want to, I also noticed your son's name is Brian, right? Yep. Yeah. That's not by accident. <laughs> wow. And, uh, anyway, so, so it was probably like the next month, you know, and I'm, I'm either sneaking off post or using a, whatever pastime we had that we can get off post. I spent over there with her and, uh, and I, I got bored and I was just like, why am I doing this? You know, I'm not getting anything out of this. And, and so I, I broke up with, I broke up with my fiance, you know, I was like, I was like, yeah, I, I just, uh, I think that we need to give it a break. You know, I said, just not kind of, kind of feeling it anymore. So I, I broke up with her and then, um, and then I, uh, I, I, uh, I started to 
you know, got my credit card, you know, so I'm starting to run up debt. You know, I'm doing all kinds of little hobbies and stuff like that, that, you know, trying to get some type of, you know, some type of, you know, happiness. You know, I remember getting like remote control cars and putting those things together, trying to drive them around out on the area and, and, uh, and just spending money on whether it's stereo equipment or, or, you know, tapes, CDs, you know, you know, back then, you know, the, the whole BMG, you know, record of the week kind of club and and uh and so i went into some debt you know and and then and then i started failing my classes you know i was in social you know i, I definitely had to do the social run for real and uh and i remember um, i was failing i was coming close to failing a couple classes and uh and i really wasn't putting any effort into anything um and uh and i and i and i really think i was already kind of contemplating on you know like you know, I mean, I'm kind of here already, I'm kind of stuck, you know, so I, I couldn't just like walk away from it. But I think parts of me were just had given up. And I was just going through the motions. And, um, and it was I don't I wish I remember his name, I, I guess it's not really that important. But I had my social P had brought me in. And uh, had set up an appointment wanted to talk to me about, you know, I don't know, a paper or something I turned in that did horribly on. And, uh, and where he wanted to go with the conversation was to uh, to let me know that he was considering, you know, basically uh, recommending an academic board, you know, for me, you know, to whether whether I should be there, and uh, you know, and, and and quite frankly, I didn't care, you know, I was just like, okay, well, I understand, I understand where you're coming from, and uh, and he goes, well, is anything going on? I mean, what's happening? You know, anything going on with your you know family, this, that, and the other thing, and. And, uh, you know, and I was like, nope, everything's fine. I mean, I got this going on, that going on. And it was kind of funny because just like I'm saying that, like, yeah, I had this going on and my mom's doing that and this is fine. You know, my, my best friend did, you know, pass away over the side. And I just wanted to kind of just, you know, throw it out there as just like another fact, you know, things that are happening. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, very surprising to me. I mean, I just completely broke down. You know, I mean, wow. I just uh, so that that was the first time, you know, that I I think that might have been even after the football season. So that might have been like kind of going, you know, just past Christmas or something. <clears throat> and I and I broke down, you know, and then and I and it, and it kind of hit me out of no place. I wasn't expecting it. And uh, just all this just came flooding out. And. Uh, and so he was I guess he was the catalyst, you know, the the lightning, you know, the the last drop on the titration that made all the precipitous come out, but the, um, he, uh, he, uh, you know, and once he kind of saw that, then he had some kind of story. He wanted to tell me about how his mom had passed away while he was in grad school and how he had to knuckle down and he had to make a decision to keep, you know, staying in grad school. But, um, but it was, it wasn't until that point that I think I actually started feeling something again. And then, uh, and then I started trying to kind of piece my life back together and, and, uh, you know, first thing was, is, you know, try to bring Karen back into the fold. And, and, uh, matter of fact, I think, I think we start, I invited her to, uh, maybe I think it was, I invited her over to the, uh, beat Navy bonfire, you know, and she's like, why are you inviting me? We broke up. And I'm like, well, you know, we can still be friends. Right. You know? And, and so she's playing along with me, but she, we ended up, you know, starting to date again and then, uh, talking to her, you know, and then decided to, you know, to go back and, and talk to coach young, you know, about football. I mean, I, in my mind, I thought that was, 
that was a burnt bridge, you know, that there was nothing back. She was actually the one that convinced me to just say, well, all you can do is say no, just, just go explain to him what's going on. And so, uh, so I went back, talked to coach young. I mean, what a, what a great guy he was, you know, he, he accepted my appointment, you know, to, to meet with him and, and told me some things that he was, uh, he had to struggle with in his life. I, I didn't realize that he had a, uh, um, a son that had some severe special needs and to the point where he couldn't even live with them, you know? And so, um, you know, and how, you know, how, you know, you have to struggle with, with things like that in your life. And, um, but he, uh, you know, he made me, you know, commit a few things, you know, but, uh, he, he gave me a shot, you know, so I came back and, um, I kind of had to try, try out for the team again in spring ball, um, end up earning up earning a starting position and, and, and got to play again awesome. you know, with, with the, with the team. So, and started, it was kind of, it was kind of, it was kind of <laughs> tough, you know, that I, I don't, I don't. Yeah. So, I, like, I don't like if you now thinking about this now, the, the going back to your the dad mode, right. That, that you, that you seem to be a master of this, of that, of that role. Right. If you have a kid that's kind of going through that, you know, what, how do you parent them through that? Like, like, I, like to me, what you, what you described here is classic depression and like, you need intervention. You need to go to like, talk to somebody and like that wasn't available or that wasn't something that we even did back in the day. Right. Like you probably could have taken that one year and shortened it down to two months, probably with yep. the right intervention. Yeah. It's uh, well, I certainly not master dad. I, I enjoy being a dad. Um, and I enjoy trying to help, you know, my kids and, and younger people, you know, kind of look at problems that they're, they're dealing with. But I think, um, you know, I, I'm glad you brought that up because like, so I have two sons, right. And, um, you know, my oldest, you know, you know, they're both a handful. They're both like, they, they, they challenge me on, on every front, but my oldest, well, I think he's pretty introverted when he's out with, uh, in public, you know, he, the way he was at home is like, we couldn't get him to shut up. I mean, he would tell us everything that was going on passing through his head. And, um, and so I think, you know, as a dad, I, I always appreciated that. And I encouraged that. And I would never try to shut it down because I knew that that was a really a key to kind of understanding where he was and to, um, and to, to make decisions or, or to, to do things that would kind of help him, either move him in the right direction or to at least let him see, you know, the, the perspective, a different perspective. My, my youngest son, um, very happy person, very easy to get along with, but um, never talks about his feelings, never really until, you know, until it gets to the blow up point. And, uh, and has always been very, you know, kind of standoffish motivate, you know, emotionally. And so, um, so that has been a challenge um, to to make sure that you're constantly trying to. Man, I, I find that I I think more about when I was a kid and my parents growing up than I ever have once I had kids because you're constantly trying to like put yourself in their their shoes and understand how they're seeing things so that you can provide some some guidance and so <clears throat> so I think that my my youngest son actually forced me to grow up and and. And really, you know, challenged, you know, my ability to, to try to provide guidance and, um, and, and feedback or at least support, 
um, on, on different struggles. And so I think that a, I think that, um, don't, don't just assume, you know, you know, what's, what's going on with your kids. Cause you might not, um, you know, or with young adults, you know, so the, uh, somebody might be struggling and, uh, and they're just not showing it the way you would expect them to show it, you know, and then B, you know, is I think you always have to be, you always have to be listening, but you also have to be open, you know, to different ways of looking at the problem. It's real easy. Like with my oldest son, it was really easy for me to discount some kind of line of BS he was trying to feed me because, you know, I kind of knew how he was thinking, you know, but with my youngest, you know, I found that if I even came close to that, you know, the whole, the whole kind of, uh, any type of intimate conversation just boom, is gone. It, it gets shut down. And then, you know, and then today with the internet and, and, and all this social media, they have these other outlets that they start to explore and to reflect against. And, uh, and some of those aren't that healthy. And so, um, yeah, I, um, it, it, it certainly, I think has made me more open and more uh, empathetic, you know, to, to different ways of thinking that maybe I originally didn't have, um, but the the need for it, you know, it, it, it man, there's, I, I just thank God that, that that instructor, you know, that the timing was right. And it was something that kind of forced me to have an emotional breakdown because had I not done that, I, I don't know where I would have ended up. I, I don't, hmm. I don't think I would have tried to hurt myself, but I think that I would have set myself back pretty far, you know, had I, had I just kept going on that trajectory. So Greg, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting you say that. Cause when I was at West Point, um, I used to say all the time, you, it, sometimes it would be one question that you would ask a cadet as they were leaving class that come to your office for AI. And if you just ask that right question, um, it would exactly like you, it would open up. And I remember I had this one cadet in my office this is in my final years at West Point. So I taught, uh, but I didn't have the cadets kind of in my office all the time. And so the guy, my deputy uh, saw this cadet come in and the cadet was there for two and a half hours, you know, closed my door. And I said to myself, you know, I had, I canceled meetings. I just, you know, blew off my whole calendar, but I was like, okay, the fact that I'm going to have this 20, 21 year old kid who wants to sit down with, with a Colonel in the army and is, for two and a half hours means that they need, so he needed something. Yep. Um, and sometimes he just sat there and he was eating the candy, but it was obvious he just needed something that day uh, that I hope that I was able to give him a little bit, but it's the same thing. You just don't know, especially with the young kids. And sometimes they just don't know how, they don't know what they need and they don't know how to express what they need. Is that the kid that was a captain of the rugby team? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he, uh, he, he was a turnback. He's a turnback, right? Yeah. He was sent into the army mentorship program and no, I'm sorry. He wasn't sent into the army mentorship program. The rest of his friends were, but he, he had, a, first of all, he, he came in very cocky, very, very cocky, um, was humbled through getting, getting in trouble. And then he was a year turned back, but then he had a lot of kind of things that went wrong. And, you know, a couple of times when he would sit in my office, I'm like, you just don't know what, God is intended for you. And I said, but you have to believe that things happen for a reason. You just don't know them now. And, you know, he'd just be sitting there like, I don't know. And I'm like, trust me, just, you, you won't know it now, but you will at some point. And so his year that he was a turn back, 
Um, so he graduated a year behind his class, which he thought was the worst thing ever. But that year they won the national championship in rugby. And he literally texts me after that win. And he goes, ma'am, I now know why. And I'm like, see, I said, you, you, you don't know. Uh, so yeah, kind of cool. I'm getting chills. I'm getting chills from that story. I heard it yeah, before. It's a very incredible. Cool yeah. Incredible. Well, Greg, you know, we're getting towards the end of our time here. It's hard to believe like an hour and 23 minutes has gone by so quickly. We, we got to, we, we don't need to cap it, but I just want to be mindful of the fact that we haven't even talked about the army. You, you, you served a career in the army and we barely have mentioned it. Right. So can, can we, can we just talk about some of your highlights and lowlights of that experience and the kind of where that brings you to today? And then we can wrap it up with your final thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, uh... I don't know. I, I, I want to, I feel like, well, first I want to talk about, you know, my company. I think, you know, company B2 or my academic company, you know, the Bulldogs, you know, I think are, you know, they, they have a special place in, in my heart, not only because those are some very close friends that I have, but the, uh, I think emotionally, you know, I think they're, they're kind of like uh, my, my go-to for motivation and, and self-talk because the, especially after coming back, you know, and feeling kind of like I was, uh, you know, cause there's periods of time in there where I felt really bad about walking away from the team and, and, uh, and, and maybe felt that maybe I was, I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I wasn't good enough. And, uh, but those guys, those guys made me feel like a hero. You know, every time I walked out on the field, we would, I mean, I'd walk through the halls and we would talk about different things. And, and I, and I found that, you know, we all kind of gelled that way with, um, with each other. I mean, I think that, you know, if there was a bulldog involved, we were all, you know, you know, we were all going to support that person or we were all going to, you know, you know, uh, help that person or whatever. And, and I think that that's one of the bonds that I had probably next to, you know, the other players I played with on football, you know, that, um, that I, that I have. And so, um, it helped. It was a big part of my formation, you know, I think as an adult, you know, as a, as a leader, you know, and, and as, you know, somebody who's, I feel like I've accomplished a lot um, and it's still there. I think that, you know, we still, we still kind of dip back into that, you know, that, uh, you know, that, 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 I guess that it's almost like an motivational kind of, you know, immunization. You need a little booster shot every once in a while and, and, and Holly and Jeff and Obi and Bobby, my, you know, roommate, I mean, I can go through and name everybody. Um, you know, they all provide that every time I, I hear from them or see them or, or, or do that, you know, it was just a, I don't, I don't know. I haven't heard anybody else kind of talk about their academic company the same way that I feel, you know, about them, but they were a big part of kind of what I think got me over that hump, you know, to even there's only, there's the only point. one. Only one club B2, right? Only one club exactly. B2. B2. You got it. There's only one. So, so tell me about club. You said you brought Karen up to club B2 one time, right? <laughs> I did. You know, so, uh, yeah, I mean, we were like, I mean, let's, let's like, talk. People may not know what club B2 yeah, was. We, we were kind of like what, Animal House. Think about yes. the movie Animal House. That, that was kind of like, that was not only, so that was club B2, but I, I think it was also B2 class of 91. You know, I mean, I, I think that we all kind of, we could probably find, you know, parallels with all the characters in Animal House in our, in our company. Yeah. It and, started, uh, so Club B2 in a nutshell, it started our, our yearly year and our, the cows started playing music. And when they would have 
the rallies in the central area are cows because we face central area. They would play music and they would tell, you know, we would tell the plebes and the yearlings, they're like, go outside. So they would kind of play it for us. And then when we got to be cows, I think a couple of times it moved into the hallway. Um, when we got to be cows, um, our, our, the firsty class when we were cows was pretty rowdy too. And so they were like, okay, let's do this in the hallways. And we would do it in the back hallway away from central area. And so we would do it. We had escape routes and plans like to go into people's rooms. <laughs> One night the OC came and I think I had 13 people in my room between the closet <laughs> and under the bed. And um, so, so then we made it a point of it as a class and Mike Pace was the leader we made it a point of saying, um, okay, we're going to take this to the next level. And Mike Pace went around and collected, I think it was like 50 bucks, 20, 50 bucks, whatever it was. And he went out and bought speaker wire and a disco ball and all sorts of lights. They built like a, a podium stand, a microphone. And so we did it in our day room, which was down um, in Bradley Short. And there was only two day rooms down there, which was A2 and B2. And there was an escape route. So there was a back door that was like a stoop that would go up to the backside of Bradley Barracks and the mess hall. And so our senior year, Mike like put all that stuff down there. I mean, everybody helped him, but he was the ringleader of it. And it was all up in the, in the, the ceiling tiles because the ceiling tiles were the type that pushed up so everything was stored up there and so he would go down on Friday afternoon and pull everything down and then club b2 would start it wouldn't start until like 10 o'clock on a Friday night and then it would go until like one two o'clock in the morning and we started having bouncers so we would put someone at the top of the stairs in case the OC came or in case someone who we didn't want to come so I mean in the pictures that I have our senior year, I bet we had 250 people down there because it was like by invite only. I mean, you had to be invited to Club B2 because we didn't want any assholes to ruin it for us. <laughs> so you get, give me the names. I, I got, I, I, I found the characters of Animal House. So who is going to be uh, John Bluto Blutarski? I'm going to say Bluto. that would be Jeff Libby. Yep. That's who that would be for me. Okay. Yep. And then and Stork, then, I think, would be like Dave Reardon. Yes. And, See D Day, uh, who would that be? I'd say that uh, Niedermeyer is. Uh, we called A two the whole time we were there Niedermeyer, so we would say Nieders is what we called them because we felt like they were the ones. Our whole four years, in fact, when we would walk through the Beat Navy Tunnel and everyone was saying Beat Navy, we would say Niedermeyer because we knew that they would hear us. <laughs> um, so I think A two were the Niedermeyers and Dean Warmer. Flounder. Flounder. I think yeah. maybe Jim Kane was Flounder. Yeah, that was Jim Kane. I'm sorry, Jim, if you're out there. <laughs> you're you're way cooler than Flounder, but that that's what you were for us. How about Dean Dean Warmer? What would Dean Warmer be? Probably oh. his upperclassman or something. Or... Yeah, yeah, we had a couple upperclassmen there. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. that was just that was like uh, everybody, everybody that that wasn't cool enough to be there. Mike. Uh... <laughs> Mike Pace, though, who was, he's not on here. He, he was the guy, not not warmer, but he was the other guy. The, like the, He was Hoover. Hoover Mike Hoover. Pace was like Hoover. He did it all, but he was making sure that we kind of uh, kept in place. And then Otter, <laughs> I don't know who Otter would have been, Greg. Probably. Uh, well, who was, uh, you, uh, well, anyway. 
yeah anyway so it, it was we we had quite the time at club b2 you definitely had uh a, an eclectic uh group of characters and i'm i'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you though that f1 uh, was equally equally as interesting to be a part of. So I think everybody has got their own their yeah. own interest in their own company. So, um, but well, it, it makes me yeah. Go ahead. Okay. No, you you, you go. It makes you. No, I, mean, I was I was probably going to beat that horse a little bit more, but yeah. What were you going to say? I I was just going to shift to say. I mean, you, you served a full career in the army. We've talked very little about. Yeah. That. Um, Let's about some highlights and lowlights of that. Yeah, I think. Um, you know, for me, the highlight was, uh, was as a, as a lieutenant and, um, first lieutenant. Um, and then later on as a very junior captain, I was selected to, yeah. So I was, uh, my first assignment was over in, um, was over in Germany and, uh, I was assigned to Charlie six one five, actually initially I was assigned to two six cab as a XO slash platoon leader for the UH sixties. But then, um, we had the, I don't know if you guys remember the, the two Blackhawks that were shot down fratricide by the U S air force, you know, being mistaken for Heinz in Northern Iraq during operation provide comfort. But those two Blackhawks came out of Germany and they were, um, out of, uh, 12th aviation brigade, which is out of Giebelstadt, Germany. Well, they were out of Wiesbaden, but our company was out of Giebelstadt. And so after that happened, they needed to replace those aircraft. And so they were taking aircraft from my my platoon uh in an attack battalion or squadron and bring it send them over to this uh assault unit so that's how i got to get introduced to them long story short i was able to cur curtail my assignment with the uh, cav and uh essentially follow uh my blackhawks over to uh, charlie 6159 part of 12th aviation brigade and uh and eventually after a couple of rotations took over as the detachment commander uh, for Eagle Flight Detachment um, down in Operation Provide Comfort, Diabrica, Turkey, you know, flying missions daily, you know, down into um, into northern Iraq. Um, and uh, and the reason why that's such a highlight is because it was the first time that I mean, I'm uh, you know, I'm this I'm this you know, young young captain, you know, in charge of essentially a platoon size, a uh, little bit proud of a platoon size detachment with my own contract assets. And, um, you know, as far as maintenance, you know, and, and aircraft and uh, responsible for this, you know, very high visibility mission. And uh, and the closest person, you know, in my chain of command is, you know, hundreds, thousands of miles away from me, you know, hundreds at least, you know, because I did have some chain of command there in uh, CJTF um, uh, OPC, which was over in Interlik. So in Turkey, you know, Interlik is on the, the western side lower you know south southwest and diabrica is uh uh towards the uh the east side of the country closer to iraq and uh so we were part of an air bridge they used to fly things in uh on fixed wing down to diabrica turkey and then we would we would fly you know missions into northern iraq with uh you know not only equipment you know but also uh people back and forth to support the special forces safe house there but then then also but also fly missions into the AOR, uh, picking, you know, two villages every day to really kind of go do support some recon efforts, um, but then also to support some humanitarian, you know, information on the Kurds that were up there and incursions by um, the, uh, uh, the Saddam's forces, you know, at that time. So obviously this was before the, 
you know, the, um, you know, the, the second, you know, the second war in Iraq. So the, um, so I think it was really the, the autonomy, um, my success, you know, that I had while I was there and, you know, and just a taste of doing something that was austere, uh, without, you know, a lot of people breathing down your neck, you know, and, and being able to take care of troops, take care of aircraft and, uh, being successful in a mission that, you know, most of us don't get, you know, at least back then didn't get that type of opportunity, if at all, you know, as a, a certainly as a company grade. And so I think, I think that was a highlight because that's probably what really got me to like the 10 year mark without even taking a breath. Cause I was just really having a lot of fun. And so had a few assignments, you know, that were, you know, that I could talk about, you know, aviation wise where I felt, you know, that I was, I had a lot of fun, you know, had a lot of success in, um, but I think what was happening was I was, I was in my third company command. It was a you know, headquarters troop command in, in Korea, you know, in the um, six cab brigade. And, and I think I was, I think I was getting a bit tired and I, and I was also, you know, kind of uh, not excited about moving into, you know, where you go as an aviator after that, which is primarily staff, you know, not too much flying, you know, maybe some uh, non-branch, you know, utilization tours. And so, I uh, I was thinking real hard about getting out of the army at that point. You know, I was at, I was I was right at the ten year mark. It was before you know our, our promotion came out, and and that was the year that they uh, you know that they uh, announced a new you know career field and our everybody's responsibility to have to you know some you know you had to select a career field. You know, I think you had to rank order them or something like that. You couldn't just put your own branch. And so when I saw information operations being a computer science guy, I was thinking you know what, this is cyber, you know, I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a, you know, a computer support guy, but if I could do something operationally, you know, with, you know, with, with this other skill that I like, you know, the, uh, that would be the cat's meow. So I've, I have to give up flying, but now I'll, I'll take on a new kind of flying, you know? So, so I decided to go ahead and put that on there thinking like, well, they probably won't pick me because I'm not, you know, I haven't done anything with computers since I graduated. Well, they picked me. You know, not only did they pick me, but, you know, while I was at BCTP, which was the next assignment, I found out that uh, if I thought I was going to do anything, you know, with computer science, you know, that, that was a joke because it was really more about, you know, kind of being a glorified public affairs slash PSYOP guy, you know, and, and, and a staff guy on top of that, which was the thing that I wanted the least was, you know, just to work on staff. So that's what I started saying. It if it a fine, right? It if it a fine. It if it a fine. They're like, yep. They're they're basically like, all right, screw you very much. Thank you for your, you know, your opinion. Enjoy your new career field. You know, and so I um, you know, and so I was I was looking at what my options were. That was the point at which I probably would have transitioned out of the army. Um, I was already starting to, you know, look at going to, you know, going back to school, MBA, that that whole that whole nine yards and uh, going to reach out to some buddies. And then nine 11 happened and um, you know, and, you know, and, and obviously everything changed from that point forward. Um, you know, so it was, it was like, I'm stuck where I'm at. I was at CGSC. They were already reaching out from, you know, different organizations to try to pull us out of CGSC early, you know, to get us down to our units for deployment. And, um, and so I was, you know, it was, I guess it was at that point where I decided, well, I'm going to embrace, you know, embrace this new career field. It represented everything I hated about, 
you know, school and academics, it was, it was like social and history and English all mixed together, which were the areas that I hated the most, you know, as a, as a cadet, as any type of student. Um, but, you know, you know, duty called, you know, we were a nation that was getting ready to go at war. We didn't know what to expect. That was going to be the panacea. And so I, I hitched my wagon to some folks that, you know, really, were really good at it. I think I became pretty good at it. And, uh, and deployed with first cab division, you know, to do it. Um, I would say that I've never really enjoyed the subject material of information operations. The, um, you know, had we not been in combat, I definitely would not have done it. Um, I think I was pretty innovative, you know, in different areas. There's lots of very positive stories that I could talk about that I, that, that I accomplished, that I was behind, I think both that, you know, first cab division and special operations command Africa, you know, and, and even, even working, you know, as a deputy public affairs officer for Africa, you know, all these things that are in areas that you would never, somebody know somebody who knew me only in high school or West Point would wonder what the hell I was doing in those kind of positions. But um, I think I was able to, 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 to accomplish a lot, but um, I would say that that still kind of represents maybe the, the down part, of my career because I really feel like um, initially, you know, obviously my devotion, dedication to duty is what kept me, you know, doing it. It's like, well, you know, at this point, it's not about you. It's about the army. It's about the country. Suck it up and make it happen. And uh, and I think I, I did. I certainly did as well as anyone else because they, they selected me to do some pretty high level things within our branch, within the, you know, information operations career field. Um, but and you I retired, retired, you retired, uh, what, 23, 24 years, something like that? Yeah, 23, just under 24 years. As a 06, right? You were 06? Nope, nope, I didn't make 06. 05, okay. In fact, the uh, 91, we didn't have anybody that was promoted to 06 within my career field. Okay. Uh, during that year, but the, uh, um, and that's, yeah. Anyway, I'm kind of glad I didn't get promoted, but the, uh, right. but I was, I, I feel that, um, you know, what had happened after that was, you know, A, what kept me in was, you know, I had to, you know, we were, we were going to war so that that wasn't the time to get out. And then afterwards I felt, you know, what, what really kind of the catalyst that kept me in was A, I felt that I was going to be a part of fixing what I thought was broken, you know, with that functional area. And so I, I worked real hard to kind of do some, you know, innovate some of the systems and some of the, the education, you know, side of things. Um, and I think that what kind of kept me going after that is, you know, I was now I'm closer. I'm on the, the other side of the hill, closer to retirement, you know, so stick it out. And, uh, and then I was able to I found that I was uh, able to use my experiences <clears throat> to, to be innovative with organizational change, solving problems, you know, so rather than becoming the expert, you know, you know, passionate about, you know, the subject material, I became passionate about organizational um, organizational changes that need to happen in order to accommodate it. Uh, and then trying to find and knowing the right people that were passionate about them that get them plugged in at the right places to, you know, to do well. But I, I kind of felt like everything on, you know, as far as like from a, a technical or subject material, subject material, um, subject matter, um, expertise side of things, just for me, just kind of, I put on hold, you know, so I, I was like, I felt like I was kind of in this position where I was 
kind of grunting through something for at least almost a decade that I, I really wasn't getting anything out of the, the subject material. It was just, just the leadership and problem solving. And so that's why I kind of feel like I've, the pendulum kind of swung all the way back to the left, you know, where all the things that kind of felt like I was putting off now, it's just like, well, that's the only thing I'm going to do now. you know. And so I'm, I'm, I'm machining. I was even looking at going into a, uh, you know, a, an immersion program to become a master furniture builder, you know, up in Maine, Very cool. you know, that was actually one of the things that was on my list to do once I transitioned out of the army. And so, uh, so it brings, really... you, it, it brings you back to where you are right now. I mean, to like, yeah. the, the, now you're able to sort of like, really be in your elements like being the you know the this your theme song the Sanford and Sons theme song but you know something you said earlier too makes me think about the real character of who you are which is that you know you, you said you, you you made the decision that you're going to quit the football team but you would only do it after the hardest part was over but you made sure that you created room for somebody who was behind you right so it was like the selfless this selfless component you're you're considering getting out of the army but then we go to war and you say this is my duty this is what i'm going to do i mean if there's anybody that exemplifies duty shall be done it is you i mean i am so uh, in, impressed and humbled by who you are what you've done where you are um i'm excited that you are you know in this really good spot right now with with what you're doing and you're at west point you get to influence young cadets and and young young captains and majors too what what an awesome what an awesome spot to 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 be in um i wonder if because we're getting towards the end here if you have some final thoughts some final reflections that you may want to leave with our class and uh i'll let i'll give you the 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 mic to think that through yeah no real quick i mean two things i think the first thing you know that i would put out there is um i know especially listening to the other the other podcast that you've done with some of our other awesome classmates is that the, 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 the time that we spent at West Point has, you know, certainly made an indelible mark on all of us. You know, we all look back at different experiences there, both positive and negative. Uh, some, you know, maybe traumatic, you know, and some, you know, at least from, from the way we were thinking about it or how we remember it. Um, and some, and, you know, and, and, you know, and they, and they still kind of affect our thinking and how we do things today, how we raise our kids, how we deal with others. Um, and I would say that, uh, <clears throat> you know, and, and most of us, I think, probably put them in a, in the right, generally in the right light, but coming back here, you know, after being gone so long and, 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 and having all those things that, that I reflected on during my career and then coming back here and actually you know, seeing the instructors, you know, it's like, so like thinking about somebody who had an impression on me, you know, back then that were like, they were the all powerful, you know, tack officer, the all powerful, you know, my, the P for my philosophy class. And he said this, and, you know, and it's this huge thing that echoes in my brain and in my soul. And I come back and I, you know, I go drink beers with these guys or I go, you know, I'm, I'm talking to these guys every day, you know, and they're all calling me, sir, now, and I'm not even, you know, I'm wearing a beard, you know, and, and you just kind of realize how small they really are. It's really, I think you build it up so much in your head and in your heart and in your spirit during your career. And then when you come back here and, and start to kind of reflect on what you experienced and then you're watching how people, how people hear, you know, how it really is behind the scenes it's like you realize like, huh, I gave that guy way more credit than he deserved, you know, or, 
or it's, uh, you know, it really wasn't that big a deal. You know, the, uh, the thing that I let bother me or, or shape, you know, maybe some, some kind of my personal image, you know, maybe, uh, maybe it really wasn't as a big a deal as I thought it was before, you know, and then I guess the, you know, so that's the first thing I would think is just, you know, if you have like any one of those kind of things that kind of nags at you every once in a while, just, just remember that they, they, it, it, it's such small, there's, they're probably really a lot smaller than you remember them being. And then I guess the other thing is, is, uh, you know, my, my grandpa, you know, the one that, you know, used to, used to kind of, he didn't raise my mom the best that he could. Um, he was a mathematician. I mean, he was a PhD, he's in charge of a, you know, a, a math department at community college up in, in, in Massachusetts. Spent some time with him as a kid, you know, but then kind of estranged for a few decades. And um, then out of no place a, few, a couple of years ago, uh, three years ago, he wanted to meet me for lunch. And so I met him you know, up at a, a diner, you know, up in a, a spot up in Massachusetts, I think in Pittsfield. And, uh, and it was, it was, it was kind of, you know, neat, you know, kind of linking up with them, obviously at this stage in my life. And um, I had a lot of fond memories of them, you know, the, uh, and the one thing he wanted to leave with me. And so this is kind of a nugget that I share with all my classmates is that I don't, I don't know exactly how to put it, but it was, it was really kind of, don't define your what you think you're good at or what you like or how well of a job you've done at something based on somebody else's you know yardstick you know so it's one thing you know if it's a job you have a very specific thing that you're trying to get done but his point was kind of you know if you like to play guitar you know and you like to jam on a certain song you know don't don't tell yourself that you stink at it because you're not as good as somebody else is, or somebody says, Oh, well, you're not very good. I think his point was to, you know, to, uh, to, to, to be happy and to be proud of, you know, what moves you and you define, you know, what is good for you. Don't let other people define that. And so, and I think that that's, um, that's part of kind of how I look at where I'm at right now. You know, it's like, I love doing what I'm doing and I, and I, and I, and I motivate myself, you know, to, to, to do a great job on it based on, you know, kind of what I, what I sit out there for myself. Little did I know is that he had, uh, he had cancer, you know, and he, uh, he never told anybody. And then all of a sudden it was like two months later, you know, he had, he was in a hospital and he was based in hospice and passed away. And so I didn't realize it, but you know, that was kind of like his, uh, his kind of like on the way out the door, I want to provide some, some insight to, to my, you know, I guess to my legacy. And so, so I share that, you know, with the class, you know, hopefully that, you know, that makes sense or is useful to somebody, but I thought that that would be a, a good thing to, to, to share is just, you know, you define what not only success is, but more importantly is what you think is a good job because you know, the, uh, you can go through your whole life saying that, well, I like to play guitar, but I was never any good. Or I like to paint, but I was never any good. You know, it's like, well, you know what, if you're done painting and you like what you did, then it's good. It doesn't matter if somebody else thinks it was good or not. And so I, I, you know, the more I think about it, every time I reflect on it, it just means more to me. And so I, you know, and, uh, and he's had a, he had a tough life, 
you know, too, you kind of shared me, shared some of that, I think really just to give me some perspective on what was going on, you know, with him and my mom, but, um, that's, uh, you know, that's something that I, I, I continue to, you know, kind of reflect back on. So thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> there's a version of that story that I always back and forth with my own kids. And it's just like, don't, don't worry about what other people think. Just worry about what you think. You know, yeah. uh, it's, it's easier said than done, I yeah. suppose. But um, Greg, thank you so much for this time. This has been magical. And Holly, thank you for, for being here as well. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to stop the live feed here in just a second. We're going to consider this the end of our podcast, but thank you everybody for joining us. We're going to have some more podcasts coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Duty shall be done. Thanks for doing this, Jamie. Thank you so much. And thank you, Holly. All right. Thanks. And with that, I want to also, I'm going to cut off the live feed at the very beginning of this podcast. Tragically, I learned that we lost a classmate. Um, And so um, I was a little distracted uh, looking at my texts here. Um, Rob Soto uh, company F2 passed away uh, either last night or this morning. And um, so for those that are still with us here, this is uh, tough news, okay. very tough news. Um, and so uh, I, I didn't want to say anything during our podcast, Greg, because I, I didn't want to like go in a different direction or whatever, but um, yeah. I, yeah, I, more, more details, I suppose will follow a parent heart attack. We, we think, but um, uh, very, very sad. Okay. You know, and I guess, you know, I, was, I, was, I don't know if I talked about it during this podcast or anything about the bicep cramps and stuff. Well, before we started, you know, and I'm, I'm really starting to feel my age. And, and that's, um, I think that we all need to, to realize that, you know, you never know when, when your time is, is up, man. That's, that's sad. Right. We're all still too young for this. Well, yeah. that's why I think looking out for each other, but also, you know, personal health and fitness and, you know, going for colonoscopies and, and body scans with a dermatologist and and uh, all that you know the uh it's time to be pro- proactive maintenance you know i mean not, not that we don't know we we don't know circumstances here rob is not a reflection on his situation uh, where he tragically we lost him and and we're very very sorry um but um you know i'm not, this is not going to be on the podcast this, this part but uh for yeah. those that are still with us on that there's still quite a few classmates 16 classmates on the line yeah um, very sad family imagine he's got kids yeah yeah i i mean i i don't know the details but you know company f2 was was all together recently he was at that outing um it was also to share a tragic event which was um our classmate um eric overby lost his wife and Mm -hmm. uh and so they were all together like just two weeks ago and rob was there and Mm -hmm. um and so you know uh and eric overby's wife was our classmate Nat Fisher's sister um, who passed away. So, I mean, there's been lots plenty of, of lots of grieving for our classmates. Let's, let's, let's be out there for each other, but yeah, for F2. F2. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see also, like I was looking, he's got a Facebook page. He, uh, he, he changed his Facebook profile just recently to a, a picture of him with all of his buddies. And I see like Chris Wells and Matt Pazvogel and, the other Zeusters in this picture. Yeah, so uh, I saw that. really, really sad. Um, anyway, so everybody take care of yourselves and uh and we'll be back for another podcast. And I'm sure there'll be more details here on uh how to um how to support Rob and his family. Uh very, very sad. Uh and so anyway, 
um, hard to end on a on a down note like that, but that's life in the situation. I'm so sorry. So anyway, um, yeah, be thou peace. Roger. All yeah, right. Thanks, I'm, thanks Jamie. Thank you. Stop this live feed here.